Welcome to Filmstrip's Star Wars Retrospective Series, where we will review the films of the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy. This is madness. Our guides for this journey will be Kurt. Who was a pupil of mine until he turned to evil. And Jay. I'm taking an awful risk. This had better work. These podcasts will be spoiler-filled as we discuss the plots, characters, and themes. The Force will be with you. Always. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Kurt. This is our Star Wars retrospective series and our review of The Empire Strikes Back, Episode 5 in the series. Starring Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher, Harrison Ford, Billy D. Williams, Alec Guinness, Frank Oz, David Prowse, and the voice of James Earl Jones. Directed by Urban Kirshner, released in 1981 on a budget of $33 million, has grossed over 538 counting worldwide, and it's many, many releases. And we talked a little bit last time, Kurt, about the things that were changed in the special editions versus the theatrical release and stuff. This is the one that was changed the very least. Um, it's really only a, a few extra effect shots that got added into this one and largely considered to be the best of the Star Wars films uh, by most most circles when you ask people about that. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's just, you know, everyone, most people tend to agree. Some people go with A New Hope. I can see that. But really, like, uh, Empire Strikes Back, that's the... if. Star Wars is the Godfather. Empire Strikes Back is the Godfather too, where it's just yes. you know, first movie sets up everything, and you know, second movie, we just get to explore more. We get to delve deeper in, than where we were before. And much like Godfather Part Two, everything goes to hell in the second That's act right. of of the play. And uh, you know, Kirsten's talked about that. Lucas talked about it. Cast all all the people that worked on this said this is the in, most interesting part of the play is the second act because everything is going to go wrong that can go wrong. And uh, you know, no one had any ideas of how wrong it could be. I have vivid memories of seeing this in a theater, Kurt. Um, not the first movie I ever saw in a theater, but uh, I remember going to this with my folks and my brother and we were sitting there watching it and somewhere in the in one of the Dagobah scenes while Yoda is looking at the screen and talking to Luke but you know looking at us the light bulb on the projector got too close and Yoda melted in front of my eyes ah. <laughs> and so we all had to go back a week later to uh, oh man what the heck happened? Yeah, because they had to get another print. And so, uh, but anyway, we I did get to see it. I think I saw it several times in theaters. Of course, watched this multiple times uh, through the years growing up. I've owned it on you know several formats. Um, and I did go back and see it uh, when it was re-released in theaters in the nineties. Well, I recall watching this. It would have been when I was uh, seven or eight, maybe in Chesley, Ontario. My family lived for a, a summer on a. This massive uh, farmland. We didn't have a farm going. We just had owned this massive house in the in the in the middle of the country. And I remember I was sick on the day, but in my parents' room they had the VHS and had all like me and my brothers and the parents were all sat down and watched Empire Strikes Back on the TV. And <laughs> I I don't really remember. I must have fallen asleep or something because the story didn't, you know, I, I couldn't tell you what happened in the movie at all. I wasn't paying attention. I must have been really sick. And that, that, here's the thing about Empire Strikes Back is it's so strange. I cannot recall a time when I didn't know the ending of this movie. Like right. I can't, I can't remember the aha moment, that OMG moment of like, 
remember when you first realized. For some reason, I just cannot recall a time when I didn't know it. Uh, and that's why I always think of Empire Strikes Back would be the number one movie that if I could reset my memory to watch a movie fresh, this would be it. Because, my God, I mean... I can't imagine what audiences in 1980 were thinking when they saw this movie. You know, here's yeah. Star Wars, this very, you know, excellent, you know, happy, positive movie where the good guys win. The hap- very, it couldn't be a more happily ever after ending. And here comes the next movie, and it could not possibly go more the opposite. It just, yes. everything does go to hell. The villains do nothing but succeed. That, that occurred to me a lot is that the villains, they don't make any mistakes at all. Like this isn't the Bond villain thing where, you know, oh, why don't you just do this? They do all the things you kind of, you know, would want the villains to do to succeed because they win. The Empire Strikes Back is a very appropriate title. Oh, absolutely. I, matter of fact, I will go ahead and say now, probably the most appropriately titled of all the films, if you want to call the original Star Wars A New Hope, then you know the perfect title is is this because uh, it's exactly what it says. The Empire Strikes Back. You know, you blow up their most uh, amazing deadly weapon of all time. Well, they're going to come after you now. Now, now you'll have your rebellion, and we'll see what that really looks like. And yeah. sometimes it's not what you want. I mean, you strike an early blow. Sure, that's great, but uh, you know, it's not who wins the battle; it's who wins the war. And uh, it, it's tables certainly turn as we get into this thing so i i'm with you kurt i can't remember a time when i didn't know what this was about and i mean you know if if, if you need a spoiler warning here it is if it wasn't yeah. already enough for you on this show of uh, what we do and that what we say in the opening credits and stuff uh you know the big reveal of course being that vader tells luke i'm your father we'll, we'll get into all of that as we get to that third act because it is a a very important moment but i think there's a lot of fun to be had in the getting there uh this time around and so we can get into that but as we did last time, we have our friend John Jansen from the Hollywood Gauntlet here to tell us what happens in Empire Strikes Back. Star Wars, Episode 5, The Empire Strikes Back. After the destruction of the Death Star, Imperial forces pursue the Rebels and defeat them in a battle on the ice planet of Hoth. After the retreat, Luke journeys to the swamp planet Dagobah to train with Jedi Master Yoda, who has lived in hiding since the fall of the Republic. In an attempt to convert Luke to the dark side, Darth Vader lures young Skywalker into a trap in the cloud city of Bespin, where he has tracked Han Solo, Leia, and others. Solo is imprisoned in Carbonite and shuttled away by the bounty hunter Boba Fett. Luke arrives, and in the midst of a fierce lightsaber duel with the Sith Lord, Luke's hand is cut off, and he learns that the evil Vader is in fact his father, Anakin Skywalker. Luke is rescued by Leia and Han's friend Lando Calrissian, where he is taken to a hospital station in the Rebel fleet. Luke receives a mechanical hand, and he and others plan for the next wave of the Rebellion. So we open up with another big blast from the soundtrack, and we get another crawl here. And it's kind of catching us up on the, you know, okay, the last four years or whatever has happened. I mean, that, I'm not sure what the time period is supposed to be. It's been four years between the films, so if you want to assume it's at least been maybe half that time, here's kind of what's gone down. And um, I love how... Unlike a lot of films of the day where there was this tendency of let's show a clips reel of everything that happened the last time and that'll catch everybody up to speed, they don't do this. And I don't know, do you find that curious at all that they avoid that uh, trope of the time? Well, no, because I think if there was ever a movie where you didn't need to do that, it's with Star Wars because Star Wars was literally the movie every single person saw. And Uh, I don't think, you know, like, ain't nobody went, nobody went into that movie having not seen A New Hope, I, I would guess. 
I would think at least in the early parts for sure. There's always somebody. There's always somebody that hasn't you know gone down the path with you to get struck by a friend, girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever. But uh, I'm with you. I don't, I don't know that it was necessary, but I like the opening crawl. I like how it starts, and I like how we go to the exact opposite of where we were last time. We started out in the darkness of space, and we ended up on a desert planet, right? Well, this time we're going to go to an ice planet, the planet of Hoth. And I love this this setting, just a fabulous uh, setting and an on location shoot, which if you listen to the commentaries and hear people talk about it was a complete nightmare to try to shoot in because <laughs> you can never keep the white balance right shooting in snow. You'll appreciate that. <laughs> so, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. but it looks amazing. And even all these years later still looks really good. They didn't do a lot of cleanup on it at all. You can tell still a really well shot uh, film. Oh yeah. I would say of all six films, this movie has the best, uh, planets the best the, yeah. the biggest variety of like planet to planet uh, the prequels did a very good job we'll get to that they did a very good job of varying up the planets but using like actual practical stuff the worlds they created in empire strikes back are the best in the whole series and just and your hoth i mean you know it's it is such a great world i mean just it it, it really does look like a planet that's just nothing but snow and it looks like a place that you would freeze to death if you were outside for uh for, for a half hour. I mean, they really, you feel cold when you're in the first, you know, 45 minutes of this movie. And, and I can't help but it's the Carpenter fan in me. I see this and I immediately think the thing. You know, <laughs> like I just, you can't get that out of my head looking at this, even though it's a very different story and stuff. And I love, you know, paying attention to it closer this time. They drop lines about how it's like a smuggler's outpost and stuff. So it's a good place to hide a rebel base if you're going to hide a rebel base. Because obviously the Yavin 4 plan is over. <laughs> we had to leave that one. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they may have blown the Death Star up, but there's a whole fleet. So we, we got to yeah. get out of Dodge, so they they've changed that over, and I like I like the ice planet too. And we should mention it. We talked about it in the opener there. Not directed by George Lucas this time around. Irving Kirshner. Have you seen any of his other films? I I have not. I but I have seen him. He's uh, I guess he's a buddy of uh, that whole group of Spielberg and Scorsese and those guys. He's an actor. He's in. He taught most of them too. That's the other thing. Except from SC. So yeah, that's right. Well, the only thing I remember him from is he, he's, uh, I think the character's name is, uh, Zebedee. I'm probably messing that up, but he's in uh, Last Temptation of Christ. He shows up. He's, uh, some sage Zebedee, or something yeah. that's talking to Jesus. Yeah. 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 That's right. He's, uh, yeah, he's one of the, the characters in that. You're right. And I have only seen one of his other films, The Eyes of Laura Mars. And, uh, I recommend it if you like 70s style suspense films. It's sort of in that mm -hmm. same feel but uh it's it's pretty cool but uh you know not what you would expect and you've heard the stories a million times about and yeah you know he's kind of a dramatic director he didn't you know this was a, a strange get and at first he didn't want anything to do with it because he thought i don't want to follow that up and and uh lucas just kept after him and kept after him and actually i think it was his agent who said are you out of your mind <laughs> so you're taking that job <laughs> and uh you know good for us that he did because i'll say you know of of the six chapters, or at least of what we've got here in the original, let's just compare it to what it what its its uh, contemporaries are. This is the one that has the most character stuff in it by far. I yeah. mean, you get a big action scene to open up the film, but then a lot of it in the middle is just a lot of moving around and talking and exploring worlds. And if you're going to do that with a group of people that you've seen in battle per se, you've got to have someone that can balance that and can really work the the camera and get the actors to work. And I think that's one thing we talked about last time. Lucas doesn't really direct actors. He just lets them do. I got a feeling that Kirshner was getting performances out of people, um, no matter how big or small their role was in this thing. 
Absolutely. Uh, and a quick note, I actually I remember uh, he did Robo Kirshner did RoboCop two, which I have seen, and that's uh, oh, yeah, I, I forgot that. So okay, yeah. we have that in common too. So okay, yeah, I I tried to forget RoboCop two. Uh, yeah, so have I. Most people have seen it. Yeah, most people have seen it probably would too. Yeah. So uh, mm-hmm. though there may be a good discussion about that on the Favors Factor, yeah. you can all debate that there. So. I but we get but, we get the, yeah we, we get the opening and we catching up with people and the thing I'm most surprised about here just just following the storyline is that Han Solo is still hanging around you know he's yeah. got this bounty on his head sure he turned around and shot the you know uh, Tie Fighter out of the way so Luke could blow up the Death Star but you know you'd think he'd be like hey look I got to go run over here real quick but I'll be back next you know, next week or something he never could get away from the rebellion he's been on the run with them the whole time. Oh yeah, the way that hangs over Han Solo's head is one of the many things in this movie that reminded me of Game of Thrones. This is the first time I've watched Empire Strikes Back since getting into season one of Game of Thrones. And I just, that thing of like a a simple thing that maybe was just completely put out of, you know, a character's mind is the thing that brings you down, which is of course what the Red Wedding's all about in in Game of Thrones, and that's what eventually happens to Han Solo. Some little thing, he pro- the list the last thing in the world he thought was going to happen, happens to him in this movie. And yeah. uh, that's one of the many brilliant things about the, the story of this movie. Oh, yeah, and, and I love how he plays it off, too. Last time you felt like he was getting away because he's like, I'm going to go take care of this price on my head, and I'm not really into your rebellion and all this stuff. This time you're like, you know, he goes to the general and says, I'm sorry, I got to go. You know, I cannot yeah. live with this price on my head anymore. I've got to take care of that. And then, you know, hopefully I can join you back. Because he, he's not even talking about when he gets back. He's, he's not even confident he's going to live through it if he can get to Jabba in time. That's the, the way it's played to me. And I think, again, I think Kirshner is getting that out of him. He's telling him, you got to play this like you don't know if you're coming back. And that is a different way for Solo to play it because what is he? He's cocky, right? He's you know he's shoot first, ask questions later guy. And the way Harrison Ford plays these opening scenes, he's got this real worried look on his face. Like he's not sure what's going to happen to him when he leaves that spaceport. Oh, yeah. He doesn't uh... – and I also like that he's all about handling it himself. It always occurred to me every time I see this movie is why doesn't he flat out ask the Rebellion to deal with that form hey I, I helped kind of you know i shot darth vader out of the space there and helped uh, death Star get destroyed could you maybe loan me the cash he doesn't want to do that he's all about i'll handle it myself well that, i think again i think he is he is using the reward that was promised to him but i'm with you i was like he couldn't you know get somebody to you know fedex that for him across space or something with a note you know they don't have you know, yeah. video email like hey job i'm really sorry i'm involved in the rebellion right now which as a gangster will benefit you you know he couldn't do that <laughs> but I, I you know what i say that though kurt but then i'm like you know what go back to our westerns theme that we talked about last time those guys handled things in person because that's just how you did things you didn't yeah. do it by proxy you handled your business yourself and so in some ways i, I admire that and really like it oh absolutely han solo han solo in this movie maybe it's because in the last week i went through all of the indiana jones films again i hadn't seen those in a while mm-hmm. and for some reason that affected i was all in i was in harrison ford mode watching this movie and i you know the first time i really focused entirely on Han Solo and thought of him as the main character in this movie and Harrison Ford's acting between 77 and 80 the performance has improved so much he's, he's great in A New Hope but he is so much better in Empire Strikes Back same guy but he just like he it's like he took an acting class or something in between New <laughs> Hope and, and, and Empire he's just everything about him the humor and the darkness 
everything. He's, it's such a better performance. I really am surprised that Harrison Ford wasn't up for an Oscar for this movie. He is, uh, uh, it's, it's just a great, it's just a fantastic performance. And, and I'll lay again a lot of that on Kirshner. And I think Ford's a really good performer at what he does. He's, he plays a type and he just continues to sort of reinvent that type in different situations. But I think Kirshner had a lot to do with the fact that that performance is coming out of him. And he's got somebody that will, again, has taught and trained actors and directors and himself as an actor and can get that out of a performance. And it's not just him. Carrie Fisher's older now too. And you can tell she's playing princess Leia differently. And even their early scene there where, you know, he's like, Oh, you, do you not want me to leave or do the rebellion not want me to leave? You know, he's still playing off of her things there and uh, her hidden feelings for him. I love how she keeps blowing it off, but she's doing a terrible job of it. So we can all tell she's crazy about him. Right. She just doesn't want to admit it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Their scenes together, Han Solo and Leia's scenes, are so good. They're so funny, and they're just great. As far as just romance goes in genre films, this is the number one. It's like this and and uh, Indy and uh, Marion in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, both yes. movies written by Lawrence Kasdan. It, it's clear the guy knows how to bring... Uh, you know, character into genre and, 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 and blend it together so well. He's such a great writer. And I can't, I'm so thrilled that he's writing episode seven. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm more excited about hearing that than I am just about anything else to do yeah. with the episode seven because I think Kazan's a great screenwriter. And, and again, he can capture and complete the things that maybe other writers that have worked on this series or you know, similar just didn't quite get. And I think he's good at writing. Han and Leia together, and I love how Han gets derailed again because uh, you know they've sent out. Uh, well, we should say Darth Vader has sent out probes across the galaxy to hunt for signs of the rebellion, you know, and one of them lands on Hoth, and Skywalker goes out to check it out, and in the process, he gets attacked by the abominable snowman. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. I mean, I think it's called the Womp uh, in yeah. Star Wars Circle. But I mean, when I saw that as a kid, I was like, it's the Abominable Snowman. You know, yeah, Wampus <laughs> Bounce. Yeah. And uh, was was fantastic. And he has to, and Han Solo has to go out and check on him. And he calls him his friend. And I'm like, man, what a real change of character for this guy because he was just acquaintances with these people. Heck, he was their employee, if anything, last time. And now he's, I mean, he's really invested in not only the rebellion, but in these people's personal lives. And he's not about to leave with Luke hanging out there, you know, maybe dying in the snow. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, you know, uh, everyone tells him, you know, I mean, you know, he's probably at this point he's dead. Forget about him. It's like, well, I don't, I don't care. I'm going out there. Uh, I don't need a tauntaun. I don't need a speeder. I'm going out on a literally on a tauntaun. And I just love the line. It's a weird. I always thought it was a weird line, but it's greatly delivered when he says, you know, your tauntaun will freeze before you reach the first mark. And he says, well, then I'll see you in hell. And that yeah. line alone, there's something about that line. As a sci-fi fan, it made me think, okay, hold on, where are they? Where hell is a thing? Does that mean this? <laughs> blah, blah, blah. But. Uh, I don't know. It's it just as a throwaway line, it works great. But I just love that Han Solo is like, I don't care what happens. I'm saving uh, Luke uh, out there. I think, again, it's to the gunslinger Western motif that has been set up here. I think that's exactly what that's, you know, how many times would Clint Eastwood's you know character say something like that? You know, in a in a Western. I mean, that's the kind of thing he would say. So I, I get it. And I like the fact that he goes out to rescue him. But before he can get to him, we see Luke starting to use the force in a way that we haven't seen before. He's hung upside down in this thing's cave. Right. And in the special edition, you see an extra shot of it eating something, which is really gross. Mm. And. <laughs> 
he is, maybe it's another person, maybe it's the Tauntaun. I guess it's the Tauntaun that he had. But anyway, he's you know the thing's eating and Luke is trying to get away or whatever and he sees his lightsaber in the snow and how many times have you like reached for your remote and tried to do this <laughs> trick in your life right? I think everybody has done this based on this scene oh yeah everyone has either they've done that they've reached for the remote thinking okay now reach my hand or they walk, walk in front of an automatic door and you know just stick their hand out and make it look like they did that you know exactly yes it's it's always something to use the Jedi power but it's a great thing because we haven't seen anything like that up to this point that's a new reveal for us and so I, I liked it I like the way it plays I like how he gets himself out of it and chops the thing's arm off and it runs off <laughs> it kind of runs off like Leatherface in, in uh, Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre movies if you've ever seen that so it, that's what it reminded me of at least. It's like oh, it's, it's like a big furry leather face now, but that's the horror <laughs> guy made looking for something there. But I, I like it. But he gets out in the snow, and of course he collapses because he's in the middle of a friggin' blizzard, and he starts having hallucinations or visions or something. Right? Like this is our shot of Obi Wan here, and we've we've heard Obi Wan from beyond the grave, but now we see him in spectral form. And I don't know, what did you make of that? And what you know, he's telling Luke to go do. Uh, well, I like that. Of course, you know, uh, the devastation of losing uh, Obi-Wan in, in Star Wars New Hope. When you suddenly see him again in Empire Strikes Back, hey, there's Al Guinness again. Uh, it's it's a joyful moment. However, there's also, it's kind of, you know, the sad thing is, well, he can all he can do is come up to you and talk to you. He can't touch you. He can't really help you out. He can just give you some advice. But uh, I like that. Uh, I love that moment of uh, him telling, you know, out of nowhere, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you need to go to Dagobah. And train with Yoda to become a better Jedi. Uh, it really does come out of nowhere because they're in the middle. They're kind of in the middle of a, there's a war going on, uh, and I need you to stop everything and become a Jedi. This is important, and uh, that you know that gets the ball rolling on the plot there. Yeah, exactly. And I, I mean, that's what I'm sitting here wondering. I'm like, wow. And I got the sense that this was the first time he had heard Obi Wan's voice since the Death Star run. You know that that somewhere, and I don't know. You know, the EU probably explains that somewhere, but at least in the film verse, there's nothing to let me know that. So he's trained himself from what he could figure out on his own. You know, enough to do that lightsaber move, and he's gotten pretty decent with the lightsaber. And you know, he can cut things off now and, and do stuff with it. He carries it with him wherever he goes. So I don't know. It's just neat to, that maybe that happens and it hits him, and it does introduce something for the the audience. I mean, it's you know, it's a screenwriting technique, but who the heck is Yoda, or what is a Yoda? <laughs> and you know, we'll get that answered in in a few minutes. But uh, it it does plant that seed, and you're like, what's happening? And then all of a sudden, Han Solo, of course, rides up on the uh, camel horse thing, whatever the Tauntaun's supposed to be. <laughs> and I, another, I remember this scene vividly, the cutting open of the Tauntaun and stuffing Luke inside for warmth. I remember talking to my dad going, what does he do in there? Because, you know, I was pretty young at the time, and he said, he's keeping him warm. And he said, <laughs> you know, and, and my dad being the history buff and stuff that he is, he said back in, you know, the, you know, uh, colonial days and things in America, you know, people were traveling across the country. If they ran into trouble or whatever, they would, they would cut open a buffalo and do something like that. I mean, that's, that's not out of, uh, the realm of possibility. I don't know how well it would work, but it's certainly something that you can see being done. And it's, it's a, it's an evocative moment because it's, it's, we haven't seen anything like that. And you know, what, what a great idea, but it also shows how resourceful Han Solo is, which makes what happens to him later in this film, all the more shocking uh, right. because you know, he seems to be able to just get out of everything, right? He just, he can get out of anything. And, uh, um, you mentioned Raiders of the Lost Ark and the Indiana Jones films in there. I, you know, I, I see 
there's a close parallel between the performance in Raiders of the Lost Ark and the Han Solo performance here by uh, Harrison Ford. It's hard to separate them, really. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, basically, uh, you know, Indiana Jones is a Han Solo with, with more stubble, essentially. <laughs> And yeah, that bit with yeah. the Tauntaun always stuck out with me because it's the only time in all six films where someone other than a Jedi uh, uses a lightsaber and using right. it as a as a blunt instrument, not as a sword or anything or deflect a laser bolt, just using it as like a, like a saw, just using it to cut open that Tauntaun. Oh, that was always a nice moment. Oh, yeah. I thought that was that was a great, great idea. Again, the resourcefulness of, of Solo. But we get uh, um, Luke back. And I do remember this frightened me, this thing that he's in the water tank or whatever. <laughs> Only years later would it come back to get me in Starship Troopers. Have you ever seen that? Oh, yeah. There's an identical scene in there, and I don't know if that's in the original book or not, but it's certainly lifted for that film to remind people of, oh, yeah, remember when we put the other people in the water tank? Let's do that again with some (laughs) tattoos and, you know, other stuff. But, yeah, I I thought I always – I connect to those two things together now, having seen both films multiple times. But I like the idea that the rebel medicine seemed to be – like cobbled together from stuff that they could find. Like none of that looked like real medical equipment. It looked like stuff they had, you know, resourced and maybe turned into something else. You know what I mean? It's it's almost like they drop him in a beer vat or something <laughs> before they uh, to to heal him up from you know his various wounds from the uh, the Wampa attack. Oh yeah, I love the Rebel Alliance being this very very ragtag. Like in 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 New Hope, it felt like that was a base on Yavin Four. In Hoth, they're like. Clearly, they stumbled upon this planet and bored a hole, their own holes into the snow, to just just to get a, just to hide from from the Empire. Mm-hmm. And that that every every single you know location within this base there is is there's an ice wall. One of the walls is an ice wall somewhere. Yes. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> I went to I went to an ice exhibit in Atlanta, Georgia, several holiday seasons ago, uh, Kurt. And everywhere I walked, I felt like I was on Hoth. I mean, <laughs> it, it looked the same way. I was like, the set decoration was wonderful here. I don't know if it's real ice or not, but I, it just looked great. And I thought this is so cool. And again, it adds to the coolness. And of course, they get something coming, you know, in the distance. It's metal. You know, we don't know what it is. We're trying to figure out. And we learned that it's. You know, the Empire has has come and landed and Vader's had a premonition about it. They've they've even argued with uh, him about it on the uh, the starship or the uh, what am I trying to say? The big Star Destroyer about, oh, how do you know this is them or whatever? And he over trumps them. And we see something happening there. There's a power struggle going on in the Empire. (laughs) These generals do not trust. Darth Vader at all. And probably because he chokes him to death on a regular basis. But he keeps doing it and doing it. I don't know. I just I thought that was a neat uh, caveat to the way the Empire was definitely in a hurry and scrambling to try and get to this rebel base. Oh yeah. The way Darth Vader deals with his officers is 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 classic film villain. I love one of the things that occurred to me is that Grand Moff Tarkin was the guy he held Vader back. Yes. Vader, Vader was a, as his stooge. He was a bodyguard almost for for Tarkin. Tarkin's not there anymore to to say, "Hey, Vader, release him." No one tells Vader what to do in this movie except for the Emperor. So it doesn't matter who argues with him. He's like, I, you know, he's like, if you argue with me, here's mm-hmm. what I'm going to do. I'm going to I'm going to force. I'm going to close your larynx with the force and may and watch you die. And then while I promote the guy standing next to you. <laughs> 
You brought up an interesting point there. We need to talk about that character, the Emperor. We'll get back to him in a minute. So hold your thought on that because I I do want to get back to him. Because this battle goes down, and I want to tell you, I've always been intrigued by this. Because as a kid, the Imperial Walker was one of the coolest things I had ever seen. My brother had one of them. It looked awesome. But now, like looking at it with adult eyes, I'm like, that is an incredibly impractical weapon. Now, it's an incredible (laughs) troop transport, if that's what it's supposed to be. But it can only shoot right in front of itself. It can't really move fast, but it can take a beating. It's it's almost dumb luck that they figure out how to take one down. Oh, yeah. I love the AT-AT walkers. I think they clearly took that from uh, uh, War of the Worlds, the idea of the, these massive the tripods have these something, and they got four legs. And it's just a fantastic design, the idea that they would use, you know, they're essentially, this is tanks, you know, this is... Uh, this is their version of tanks, of these giant yeah. walkers the size of a building. And uh, yeah, you're saying they can only shoot in front of them. However, my favorite bit with the walkers is where uh, a speeder's coming at him and the walker positions itself so it can turn and mm-hmm. shoot it while it's uh, trying to pass him, like 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 a, someone trying to swat a fly. Great mm-hmm. bit of stop motion animation. In, uh, of the, yeah. of the All the walker animation is fantastic. Yeah, that's the thing is that they talked about in the you know the special edition cleanup. They didn't really change any of the animation. I would have thought they would have CGI'd all of it, but they thought it looked so good they just left it. And I'm glad because it looks amazing. It, the amount of work that those guys did in the, on the first film, the model work was one thing. The, in the four years you know in between films, they have come a long way themselves. ILM is a totally different group now, and they look so comfortable with what they're trying to do here in the effects. And it's, it is a compelling battle. And I love the new little snow speeder thing. You know, we get a new, new weapon for the, uh, the rebels. They don't just have X wings. They've got these sort of, I don't know, flattened sandwiches to, <laughs> to fly at you. Oh yeah. The, the use of the speeders. I mean, like, it's just, like, I like the fact that they don't technically have a weapon for these walkers. What they do have is these speeders happen to have tow cables they can use to pick something up in the snow or wherever they are. It doesn't have to be the snow. Pick something up and drag it somewhere. So they figure, well, the cable's strong enough. Maybe we could use that to wrap it around its legs and it'll, and it'll, you know, bring itself down. And that animation, that is so cool. The shot, like we're up and we just see the, the speeder uh, swirling around three times, uh, wrapping its uh, legs in the cable and then bringing it down and it blows up. Fantastic. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, you knock down the big thing. I mean, that's the way you beat tanks is you blow their tracks and then they're sitting ducks and you just bomb the heck out of them. And that's exactly what the rebels are doing here. I liked it. I like the fact, too, that in the process of it, Luke is not going to be the hero of every fight. That's the, the great storytelling part here. He's going in for a run and his gunner gets shot. Yeah, you know, and he and he's dead, so he has to run block for wedge and somebody else to go in and do the damage. And then when it's Luke's turn, what does he do? He uses that same, you know, his speeder gets shot down. He uses that uh, grappling hook thing again to go up underneath it, cut a hole in the bottom of it, and throw a grenade in the thing. That's another way you take down a tank is you throw a grenade in the top of it, you know, and and hold the lid down, you know, because there's nowhere to go inside of there. And I don't know. I just I like the whole the whole idea there and the way the battle goes down. But in spite of those efforts that are successful, the rebellion is totally overwhelmed because the walkers get close. They blow up the shield generator and the uh, the power at the station, and then they unload the troops on them and they just start rolling in. And that's when the evacuation happens. And I I don't know. I thought that was 
compelling to watch your heroes really take it on the chin and legitimately lose. Like they didn't do something stupid. It wasn't a fluke. The Empire just, you know, pommeled them. And it's a total defeat at the end of this. Oh yeah, it's like I said, the the, the villains, this this is the some of the more this is the most intelligent and uh, competent the empire is in the in, in the entire uh, series. They don't mess up. They they use the right weapons to take down these rebels. And yeah, two things. First of all, I like that as a movie that they essentially they open the movie with the big mm-hmm. Death Star-esque, you know, showdown. Any yes. other movie would end with that. This movie opens with the big the big actions the biggest action set piece is the first thing we see. Mm-hmm. And uh and yeah, the fact that, you know, these rebels that we saw you know, destroy the Death Star and win the day. They get their asses handed to them by the Empire. Uh, Darth Vader knows, he knows what he's doing. He knows, you know, he just, again, just, there's a reason he's one of the best, always on, you know, top five lists of greatest villains in history. Cause, and it's because of this movie in particular, I think, cause he just, he does not make a mistake. He's a genius, uh, a tactician as well as just, you know, evil bastard as we'll get into. Well, and we also get the identifying mark, the Imperial mark, the the, the Vader theme coming yeah. out of this this film. It, you know, the music again. How do you top the greatest soundtrack of all time? You just add better tracks to the relist of it. That's essentially what uh, Williams does here, and that's that just blows your mind. I mean, again, music can always convey so much in a story. We you look at side example after example where that's the case, but I don't know. That there's a better one than. The Imperial March. I mean, I, you know, I'm a big football fan, Kurt. There's not a team in the Southeast that doesn't play that at some point when their defense <laughs> is on the field. I mean, that's just the University of Florida. Like, that's their thing. They just play it constantly, that huge band they have. So I, I find that to be very engaging. And, uh, you know, I don't want to say a root for, but in a lot of ways you can admire what the Empire is doing with this Attack and how they're going through it. They're not incompetent. They're not ridiculous. They seem to be rebounding quite well. Again, they are striking back. Yeah, just like I keep going, keep saying, it's just that they are good at what they do. Like this shows you how they became the Empire in the first place by doing stuff like this. Like they didn't expect the Death Star to be attacked. Like they, that's the whole point of why that's such a great plan for the Rebels is that the Empire could never expect. The Empire's never played defense before. This is the yeah. Empire. This is Empire doing what they do, which is taking over places and you know, storming and you know, stormtroopers storming a building. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it is it is going to be a fight, and you realize how much in peril our friends are here. But they they all get out. Leia and Han and Chewie and the droids all wind up on the the Falcon, and Luke gets in his X wing, and they. You know, hang out above the at the Sonic above the uh, the planet there for a minute, I guess, and then they decide to split because Luke's got R two with him in the X wing, and they're going to Dagobah to seek out Yoda, whatever Yoda is, right? Like they're gonna go find that. While um, Han and Leia really don't know where they're going. They're, as we find out, are just going to be on the run. And that's you know, really the beginning of the second act is when the Imperial fleet has come upon the Millennium Falcon and they, you know, the Falcon is doing everything they can to try and outrun that fleet. And we got to talk about the superstar destroyer, the, the yeah. big, the, the thing that Vader's on in the middle of all of that. And, you know, we saw the star destroyers last time, very cool ships. I mean, if, if the star destroyers are battleships, then that's like the Bismarck or something. Like <laughs> it's the biggest, baddest looking thing. It, it's awesome. looking. I love the way that it's just a different, you know, 
elongated triangle, and it looks more like a city than you know a block like the other ones do. Hmm. Oh yeah, like like that first shot in A New Hope, where you see that star destroyer, and it looks like the biggest thing you've ever seen in a movie. Mm-hmm. Well, this movie opens the first thing we see of it is we see all those ships that we've seen, the star destroyers, and this massive shadow just. Uh, 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 glazes over them. Something is bigger than these star destroyers, and we see that's what Vader drives around in. Is yeah. the I think they call I think it's called the Avenger. Might be mistaken, but yeah, that the big dark blue, uh, massive uh, ship that lo- that looks, in my opinion, is a, it looks better than the Death Star. Death Star was just a sphere uh, with a with a little hole cut in it. I love the look of this ship, and it looks like yeah, it, and it it does look like. Something about that ship just that makes me think of of Nazi for some reason. Like, mm-hmm. Because again, we're like there. This isn't. It's not a white ship anymore. This is a dark blue ship. Vader clearly chose the paint job on this. <laughs> no, it's actually called the Executor, which is there even a more appropriate name for that ship. So absolutely, I no, it's very imposing and and I like it. But I like the fact that the Falcon is having to try and outrun all this stuff. And you know the jokes Leia made about it last time, like what a piece of junk, you know, or whatever. I, it, that didn't seem to be true. It's like, no, man, this is a bad ship. This thing's awesome or whatever. And then when they try to jump to hyperspace, it sounds like your washing machine not running the cycle right. <laughs> yeah, I love how everything's broken and it doesn't work. I, I like that there's not the easy get out. They're going to have to be smarter if they want to get out of this one. And uh, I love how eventually they evade the fleet. Oh, yeah, that, the, the, that bit, when we cut to... Falcon, uh, the Falcon, you know, getting away from the Star Destroyer and the four TIE fighters and then the asteroid field. That, I think, is the best effects scene up to that point in the series. Better than anything in A New Hope. That scene, the, um, the way the Falcon is spinning around mm-hmm. so much in those shots, to me, it's just like, I watch that and it's like, I've seen so many movies in, with CG and I'm thinking, they did this without CG. I just think, how the hell did they do that? It's probably incredibly easy. I just need to look at the DVD again. But it's like, <laughs> I'm looking at it, it's like, this is so insane I, i'm glad i did eventually see this movie on the big screen you know in the special edition 97 because that is something else to see and then the, such an insane chase scene mm-hmm. with because uh, yeah it's not it's not the falcon trying to attack anything they're just trying to get away they don't even get to shoot their guns at all yeah uh, you know they don't have luke and han in the gunner seat anymore they just got to get away because the light speed's not working but we just have to outmaneuver them and going into that uh, asteroid field yeah, all they've got is 3PO, Leia, Chewbacca, and Han in there. Chewbacca and Han have got to drive the ship. You get the sense it takes both of them to be able to fly it. And so, you know, they can't just be a one man up there, so nobody can go shoot. You know, and I, that's the thing I really like about this is that unlike a lot of, uh, you know, other space battles and stuff, like you're a one in the same uh, station unit. You know, if you fly it, you also shoot and you can do everything in one spot. Well, I like how in this thing, no, the ship's big enough that it can move pretty fast but you got to have somebody flying it and another person flying it and then you got to have other people to shoot yeah. you know because they it, you can't do it all at the same time that gives a weight to it and it's very much a dogfight scene i mean i talked about top gun last time that that was incredible dogfighting they've totally upped the game this time this looks 20 times better than anything they had the last time and that's no fault i love the last battles but this this scene i'm with you great action scene looks amazing and then all of a sudden whoosh, i mean he just goes right in front of the window and disappears 
and it's like, where do they, where do they go? You know, and and there's that, you know, the latest uh, general to die or admiral or whatever. Like, I'll go tell Vader what happened, and uh, you go ahead and prepare, uh, you know, my shuttle. In other words, get ready to send my, you know, my body back to whatever my family is somewhere. Yeah. He, he knows what's going to happen. And indeed, when we see the scene with Vader, he's like, apology accepted, as he drops dead to the floor. So, uh, I don't know. Oh, I, I liked the scene. <laughs> oh yeah, there's a great robot chicken sketch. They they always do great Star Wars <laughs> things. They did a sketch of basically a meeting of all the officers. Like, hey, look, Vader likes to do this. Okay, so just <laughs> don't f up because he's gonna choke you out. Okay, and yeah, that's I mean, again one, my probably my favorite Vader moment in terms of him being a badass is when we just see Captain Nita drop to his knees choking, mm-hmm. and we just Vader walks over his body. Says, yeah, apology accepted. Captain Nita. I just, that to me is my favorite Vader moment. Cause it's Vader, it's the only time Vader, he's crack, that's a joke. It's like Vader cracking a joke. It's like, it's like Batman trying to be funny. Just like, it just kind of creeps you out, if anything. It's like, cause he's talking to a corpse too. That, 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 that struck me a lot, uh, watching it this time. It's like, Jesus, this this guy is messed up. <laughs> I want to tell you what it reminded me of, and I'm going to go back to my westerns theme again here. There's a scene in the beginning of The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly where Lee Van Cleef shoots this guy through the pillow, and the guy is offering him all kinds of money, and he said, yeah, that's great, but the other guy already paid me, and I already I always do my job with this grin on his face <laughs> as he blows the guy away. you know. And I'm like, that's that moment. It's just so evil, but in the same light, it's intriguing. Like you're like you can't take your eyes off somebody that's that badass, you know, in a, in a movie like this, and in a movie that's populated with a lot of characters. Again, we're still ringing true on the ones that uh, matter the most, obviously. And I I don't know. I liked it. I like the whole bit. I like how the Falcon hides behind basically the uh, trash uh, shoot of the uh, Star uh, Star Destroyer and waits to just be floated away with the rest of the garbage. Yeah. And they go in they hide in uh, I love how their plan is we're going to go and try to find a hiding space among an asteroid field, uh, an asteroid field. Before any of that happens, we got to catch back up with Luke, right? And he lands on Dagobah, the um, swamp of all time. I don't know, yeah. you know, Kurt, if you've seen a lot of swamp in your day, uh, <laughs> what you've got up there in Canada. Of course, growing up in the south here, I've seen lots of swamp. My wife, uh, where she grew up in, in the south here, I mean, it's literally next door to one. I, you know, I, I see this and I'm like, I, I know exactly where that is. And, uh, it's all a set. That's the thing. That's the thing that amazed me for years. Is I swore forever they shot on location somehow for this, but it is all a big set in a Pinewood where they shot this thing, and it looks exactly as nasty and danky as it's supposed to be. Oh yeah, going back to saying these are the best planets. Yeah, Dagobah is yeah. one of my favorite planets in any movie, and yeah, it is. You watch it; it is that the, they really do hide the fact that it's a set. It looks like maybe they did go down to Vietnam or somewhere to film this stuff. It's just. It does look like a swamp. The water looks like an actual swamp. Everything about it looks like an actual jungle. And it's a very, it is a, like a frightening place. Like the second they land, R2's in the water. R2's in the water and we just see this thing. We don't even know what it is. Just some big, the back of some creature dive into the water and is about to, you know, engulf and eventually spit out R2. But yeah. Yeah, and we've seen that kind of thing before, right? Remember the thing in the trash compactor that grabbed Luke and then let him oh, go? Yeah. Last time went out, it's even worse. And we find someone on the little planet, right? This little green thing that would change Star Wars <laughs> forever. <laughs> Yoda. I don't know that yeah. there was a bigger thing as a kid 
than Yoda on the screen. I mean, Yo, all the the way he talks in that backwards verbiage, to the size of him, to the the ultimate reveal that he is this great Jedi Master, and this you know it's not what any of us expected, right? You expect to meet Yoda, it's going to be another old guy like Obi Wan, right? Well, they got the old right, but the Yoda, <laughs> wow, what is a Yoda? Oh yeah, Yoda. I mean, what a fantastic character! Just in terms of a mo- just a film character, we have. I'm trying to think. This might be the first puppet character, serious puppet character in a movie. And like, I think they offered it to Henson, and I yeah. think Henson worked on it. But I think Lucas said, "I'm sorry, you just it's impossible not to hear Kermit the Frog." So we yeah. so he said, "Because of that, we're not going to do it." So we'll go to the obvious next choice, which is Frank Oz. And uh, I think Frank Oz's work in this movie. Moving the puppet and the voice is so good. I th- I think Lucas he actually did lobby to try to get Frank Oz a Best Supporting Actor nomination, which I would have no problem with because it is the best puppet performance uh, ever after after anything in the Muppet movies or whatever. Because <laughs> yeah, I mean it's not just I mean, it starts off as a comic relief character. You know he's digging yeah. through uh, Luke's stuff and fighting with uh, with R two for a light, and he sounds exactly in the, in that first little chunk he sounds exactly like like Fozzie Bear. But once we're in the hut. And uh, Obi Wan starts talking. We get, and all of a sudden, uh, the we get another look. We take another look at Yoda, and just the way he looks, the way w- with the eyes, it's 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 a puppet. It's a piece of plastic and, and rubber. However, it just it looks like a different person all of a sudden with his posture, and we instantly believe that this is, uh, you know, a Jedi master. This is a guy who would who would train these these knights for for hundreds of years, and. Yeah, all of a sudden, like it's not at first it's comic relief. Then he turns into a he's a dramatic character, and he gets into some pretty you know serious stuff about the dark side of the force. And my favorite delivery. This is the moment when I think Frank Oz should have gotten an Oscar nomination. Is when Luke says, you know, I'll, I'm ready to do this. I'm not afraid. And he leans in. He's like, oh, and he just like so menacing. You will be. You. I, I can't do it justice. But that is oh, such yeah. a great like kind of creepy moment. It's like, oh yeah, you will be. Oh yeah, I, I I love that. I mean, it's a total it's a total reversal from what you expect in all ways, right? But and you talked about the way he looks. You give a lot to Phil Tippett and the guys that designed these puppets. They really went all out on this thing. And the little guy that actually drew what Yoda became, if you ever seen, it looks like Yoda. I mean, yeah. he just kind of looked at his face and said, "Well, <laughs> that'll do." And you know, uh, they were looking for something that could convey humor. Obviously, but could also convey a lot of wisdom. And it's just a slight turn. And all, all that, you know, goofy, let me have the light thing turns it turns into he's not ready. He's not ready to be trained. I mean, on a side note, by the way, uh, does a killer Yoda, Mark Hamill does a killer Yoda. Great voice <laughs> actor. And really kind of what he's known for more nowadays than, than Star Wars, if anything, is his voice work. But <laughs> does a killer Yoda. And a really good one. But yeah, I lo- the whole thing, the voice... <clears throat> the way he moves around, all this stuff. And you see Luke then like, oh, I have really screwed up. Like, you know, you realize like, oh, man, I think, uh, you know, these people are just terrible. Oh, I'm from there. Oh, well, they're not all bad. You know, <laughs> like, he's trying to backpedal his way into Yoda training him. And so after the you will be and we come back to him again, I love the Jedi training. It's very karate kid there i say yeah. it's not what you expect it's it's we're going to use what we got around here we got rocks we got snakes and we got some caves that's we're gonna do some one hand stands and we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna figure out how to control the force because it's all about controlling the force and we didn't really talk about it much last time but 
Kurt, just from what you're reading so far, these two films, what is the force besides the thing that binds us and all that that they lay on you? What do you think it is? How does it work? Well, the force, which of course works best in the original trilogy, is just this thing that is a sci-fi concept. It's just this energy that exists between everything. You can't see it. And the Jedi are the people who just somehow, in the, you know, maybe millions of years ago, found a way to just, you know, manipulate that space between spaces and, you know, use that space to do any manner of things. And, you know, the Force, the thing about the Force, and we'll definitely get into this with Phantom Menace, is the Force is best left unexplained in the movies. It's best, the the less they describe it, the better. It's just something, there's no uh, quantifying it, it's just, and it's either you got it or you don't, you know, the, the, the ability to use the Force. But I love that, like, again, like all this stuff with the, uh, this war, the intergalactic rebels and, and, uh, and the empire. And in the meantime, we got this, this magic, which is the force. And that's one of the things that makes Star Wars great fantasy is all this sci-fi tech, but there's magic too. Love the force. Yeah, I think you, you call out something, too. We open this film on the big set piece, the big action. The second act of this film slows down. Tremendously, without the you know, with the exception of that uh, escape by the uh, the people on the Millennium Falcon, I mean, this is all about sitting and talking and slowly working our way through a lot of exposition and a lot of plot and a lot of unraveling of what's out there, you know, and and what do we what do we know? And I don't know, I I found that to be really interesting this time around watching it and just sort of. You listening to the dialogue that's coming across and watching how this movie that's in space, it's just this expansive area, right? You've got all these hundreds of people and all this stuff and what's happening. Um, they're slowing the film down. They're making it quiet so that everyone, you know, take a breath if it were and really get themselves reset for what's going to come in the, you know, the eventual third act. It's, it's the slowdown here is amazing to me. It's like I was saying, like they followed up the biggest movie ever made with a much smaller movie. This is this, probably the smallest film in all six films. It's very, like they got Kirshner to get to who can do the drama. They got him to do the character stuff because uh, because that's what this film needed. And I just like again, just as a movie, like just forgetting about the story, whatever. Just the fact that you know they they followed up the biggest movie of all time with a relatively small film, so much smaller. Yeah, all the action, the front loaded with all the action. And the rest of the movie is just story and character and great writing and acting. And that is why I think it's the better movie. It's really about three people. I mean, in the end, this movie goes from being about you know the rebellion and the empire and all that stuff. It's almost like that first act is a coda to the first film. And then this film is about Luke and Leia and Han. You know, and in some way you could say Darth Vader too, though, though the reveals of that are, are really in service to Luke's plot and, and – uh, some of Leia's and the idea that it's about the, this small group of people, right? And you see that Luke is going through his training and he's trying to do things and his X-Wing goes into the bog and he, he's told to try and raise it and he almost does it and he just gives up. He's just impossible. And then little old Yoda, of course, brings it up. What a triumphant moment, right? I mean, brings that thing out and sets it on dry land for him. And, you know, for me, as someone who grew up in church and, and knows the Bible story quite well and things, I always think about the time when Jesus had Peter walk on the water with him. Yeah. 
and Peter falls into the water ultimately after taking a few steps. Jesus has to get him back up, and he you know, tells him at the end, he said, you, you can't lose faith. And that's essentially what Yoda says to Luke here, right? Because Luke says, that, you know, that's impossible. How do you do that? He said, that's why you fail, because you still see it as impossible. And I don't know. I, I find that to be fascinating. It's one of the reasons I asked you about the, the Force, you know, because it's I don't know. I think it ties into all of the mythology of the story here. Oh yeah, and again, that's another like great Frank Oz performance moment. Is like, uh, like you know, Luke cannot believe he just saw a guy lift an X-wing that probably weighs you know ten tons of steel out of the water like it was like like it was nothing, like it was a feather, and, and landed down on the water. He's like, and just I don't believe it. And Yoda just looks at him. He he kind of has a look of like you know. Because you're stupid, but it's like he's like, yeah, that's that is why you fail. Oh, and also we missed the the great line, you know, do or do not. There is no try. Another great line. Absolutely, I mean, bumper stickers made off of this, right? You can make <laughs> memes out of Yoda's entire dialogue, which is yeah, Kevin know. Smith's career is made out of uh, Yoda lines. It, indeed, it is that and uh, penis jokes. So yeah. as it turns out, so Yoda lines, penis jokes. You got Kevin Smith, folks. I've just reviewed <laughs> his entire lexicon. That that retrospective's blown. So anyway, <laughs> so there we there we go. But back in in time, and I'm going to go a little bit out of order here for a minute in the plot because I want to talk about one more thing on Dagobah because we're, we're about to roll into the third act pretty heavy here. The 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 uh, little walk through the woods where Luke goes in with his lightsaber, you know, an apparition of Darth Vader comes out and Luke beats him in the lightsaber fight and cuts his head off. And I'm like, man, what a violent moment. And then the mask explodes and it's Luke's face underneath. And I remember like sitting there going like mind blown as a kid, you know, I have no idea what, what that meant, what was coming, anything. I mean, that was such a surreal, weird moment. Oh yeah. This movie is a, a lot. This movie has a few, like they all work, but like really weird moments. Like this is the first, this is only like, that's the closest thing to a dream sequence we have in the entire series where we just mm-hmm. kind of break from reality entirely. And Lucas literally like the, it goes in, it all of a sudden goes into slow mo, and Vader shows up. I think that's the hint. It's like this is not a dream. The Empire did not suddenly stumble upon Dagobah. This is all happening in Luke's head, or this is something Yoda is projecting into Luke's mm-hmm. head. And uh, that's a great, you know, WTF moment. And another one which happens earlier is uh, where an officer walks into Darth Vader's chamber, and uh, Vader doesn't know he's there. And all of a sudden, we just see in Vader's chair his helmet being lowered down onto his head, and his head is all bone white and purple and scarred up and sliced up and burned. And that is, if you, like, having not seen the film, that had been one of the most, like, what the hell was that? Because up to this point, maybe we just think Darth Vader's either a robot or uh, he's just wearing body armor. But now we see, you know, he's, that's the explanation of why he's using a respirator, because something bad happened to this guy. And, uh, yeah, that was that's a that's a I've heard people say that's a moment that makes you almost want to watch the movie again right away just to see I got to see that again cuz what the hell was that? I remember watching this movie when I had it on VHS and like pausing it and just staring at the screen trying to figure out what the heck was that? That time I was reading a little bit of the EU and the only thing that was really out there at the time was that, you know, uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi had thrown Darth Vader into a volcano at one time. And so this was what had happened to him. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine what that looks like. You know, and it's just, it's horror is what it is. It's a horrific thing to see. And it, those are cut in between times when we see Vader talking to the uh, hologram, if you will, of the emperor. What did you make of just the character of the emperor and the way that, you know, he is the only thing telling Vader what to do and he's doing a lot of it. 
Yeah, and that is probably the biggest special edition change. Well, actually, in the special edition in 97, that scene was exactly as is in the 80 version. On the DVD, yeah. that's the biggest, that's one of the bigger changes on the DVD is that all of a sudden they just replace an actor entirely with, with Ian McDermott. And I like that they did that, but for one thing, he doesn't, I don't think he looks like he does in Jedi. He looks like he did in Sith. Yeah. In that, in that image. So I think that a little bit of a mess up, but I, I, I appreciate the effort and like that's something that I would have done. You know, I was like, well, let's go back and do that. That's what, that's what they did on Seinfeld. They replaced the guy who played Jer- uh, uh, George Costanza's dad with another actor to show in syndication. That's what they did with uh, the emperor here. And everything about that emperor scene, one thing I like is when the guy shows up, tells Vader, hey, the emperor wants to make contact with you. Instantly, Vader says, move the ship out of the asteroid field, stop looking for the Falcon so we can get a clear transmission. So whoever this emperor is, this is the one guy that Vader will do anything to uh, to please or whatever. And then all of a sudden, this ma- great uh, room, this entire room that only serves to for communication between Vader and the emperor, this mass, the biggest hologram we've ever seen. We've seen tons of holograms of people talking to Vader. We have this massive thing of the emperor's head, this old man in a black cloak, uh, telling Vader what to do, telling him, uh, you know, you, uh, you know, how's it going with that search for Skywalker? We need to get Skywalker. Right. I, I, lo- I love his lines. Is you know, all that the son of Skywalker cannot be allowed to live. You know, and he said, if we could turn him to the dark side, he'd be a powerful ally. And you know, and then the Emperor's like, well, you think you can do that? You really think you can get him? You know, it will happen or he will die. And I'm like, wow. Now that's, you know, there, there's the stakes of the film. Because at this point, you know, I'm going like, well, what, what are the stakes of this film? The rebels got their butt kicked. They all scattered. So you assume some of that's still going on somewhere. And our friends are all split up. So as viewers, we want them to get back together. But what's really happening here? What's, what's the purpose of any of this? And what you see is that the Empire in searching for, you know, these these rebel leaders, Leia, Han, and Luke, the other ulterior motive is we're going to take this young Jedi and we're going to turn him to our side. We're going to have an infiltrator and he's going to re- betray the rebellion and we're going to take them all down. You know, and I, I don't know. I liked that the nefarious plot of let's make more evil. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The fact there, there's something that's a great thing. I don't know if Lucas planned this all ahead when he made, you know, the movie in 77. But the fact that the leader, the Adolf Hitler of this universe, the guy who runs the, the empire also happens to be a dark sorcerer character. Mm-hmm. Like he's all, all these things, commanding armies, taking over planets. And he also happens to be a believer in the dark side of the force, making him all the worst. Makes me think of Game of Thrones, how they think people think if Stannis becomes king with the red, with uh, the red woman, on all this fire magic that couldn't you couldn't have a worse possible king than someone who believes in this shit mm-hmm. and that's what emperor, the emperor is is Darth Vader and the emperor are the worst kind of people you would want running the galaxy people who believe in people who can make lightning come out of their fingertips and stuff and <laughs> yeah and you know could like again just fantastic fantastic villains Lucas all the things maybe Lucas did wrong the last thing he got wrong was the villains in all these movies and the Emperor and yeah. Vader are the best oh yeah I, I agree and I, you like to see how they work together it's just a different relationship you know and we see that Vader is being again active in his search they can't find the Millennium Falcon so fine he hires a bunch of bounty hunters right love that scene you love that scene great scene it introduces us to a character Boba Fett. Now he was in the first Star Wars movie we talked about or whatever, right? He was standing yeah. around. It was, this though, love the bit with you know he's no good to me dead. You know what am I supposed to do? And you see this 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 group of you know weird looking alien things, and every one of them, I'm like, 
I can see how these would be bounty hunters. I mean, what a yeah. cool concept of like, you know what? We can't find him, so we're going to go to the scourge of the earth hmm. to go and find the guy that we need to find. Oh, yeah, the, I love the designs on that. That 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 scene with the bounty hunters is the closest thing we get to like the cantina moment. Is mm-hmm. we get all of a sudden, you know, here's some lizard guy, here's a droid, the edgy eighty eight, here's some weird looking guy, some big fat guy. Yeah, I love the look of those characters, and they do. They look evil and nefarious, and. uh and then you got this guy Boba Fett, and man, uh, some uh, some people call him the greatest villain. I sadly would have to call him maybe the most overrated character in Star Wars, but sadly such because he's so good in this movie as a villain. But they totally will definitely bring it up in Jedi. They really just <laughs> they bring him down because this he has the best costume in the entire series next yes. to Vader. How you, that is such an amazing costume. It's not necessarily a villain costume he does look like he's just another gunslinger character i always thought of boba fett as the the anti uh han solo exactly uh, yeah because that's the kind of thing han solo might might wear if he was a bounty hunter and mm-hmm. that's like and, th- and that's the thing i like boba fett is that obviously we don't necessarily know until you know the next until the prequel trilogy but i like that boba fett is just a hu- he is just a human he's yeah. not an alien he's just another guy uh and so and you know uh, and you know that those are the best villains in these series so far. Just the the the, the human villains. Scratch that line. Don't don't use that. <laughs> yeah. But, but yeah, Boba Fett. Uh, the way he's using this movie, he's a great character. Oh, I I agree. I think he's he's fascinating. He leaves you wanting to know more of what he is, who he is, and what his plan is. And what we you know we're starting to see is that he has been following Solo and his crew since the trash compactor fallout. He had the same idea. I'm going to hide in the trash, and we'll just see yeah. what what comes out. And sure enough, there he was. So he starts you know following him and. Uh, we need to talk about where they've been. They landed in an asteroid they thought was a cave and got out and started, you know, peeling these, I don't know, pterodactyls kind of thing. Yeah, things. the Minarchs. Yeah, off off of the uh, uh, Millennium Falcon. And uh, this is no cave. <laughs> I love yeah. the space worm. What a great idea that they would land inside of the worm and not realize it until it's almost too late. I mean, what a great escape. That's another WTF moment where it's like, because they don't let that monster, he has one appearance. He's just there, like, hey, like, they just throw that in there and throw it away. Hey, there's, here's a, here's a, the biggest creature in the entire series, uh, you just saw. And, uh, we've been inside him. Oh, such an insane monster moment. Something that, you know, uh, hopefully Star Wars keeps doing in the next movies is stuff with monsters. And that's, that's almost the best monster moment because, we're, we don't realize we're not in a cave until all of a sudden we look at the, the cave is collapsing. No, it's a pair of teeth closing. It's like, <laughs> yeah. That's, that, that is, that is creepy. As a set of jaws and the escape out of there, I'm like, well, you know, of the many things we, we reviewed Independence Day before, the things that Independence Day ripped off, that was certainly one of the, the yeah. scenes. That and the, the fly out of the Death Star 2 that comes later in the series. But yeah, they, uh, we've seen it. But it's a great moment. And we see the side where they're going to go. They're going to go to the Cloud City of Bespin. You know, and we don't know what that is. And there's this guy named Lando Calrissian there, and he's going to help them out. And when, when they go there, it's the introduction of Billy D. Williams. You know, Lando, you talk about a character that is ultra cool. Uh, 
And for the time, and I mean, I know it's hard to remember, and I've only seen some of his previous work and stuff. I, I would recommend a film of his called Nighthawks that he was in with Stallone. That's from around the same time period. Um, hard to watch that movie nowadays because it has su- subject matter so difficult to look at, but um, and it was such a different time. But he is fantastic in that. But Mr. Smooth, you know, <laughs> comes out and he's hitting on Leia and all this stuff, and you just know this guy is a, is a scumbag in some <laughs> way because he's well, first he's friends with Han, so he can't be trusted, yeah. but he he seems to offer them shelter temporarily, right? And so it seems like a good thing. Yeah, Han, like when yeah, they're looking at, you know, what planets can we go to? It's like, oh, well, Bespin, Lando Calrissian. And then Leia's like, well, do you trust him? It's like, well, no. He's got no <laughs> love for, but he's got no love for the Empire. So, you know, he's the best thing we got. And, uh, yeah. And yeah, there the definitely is a thing of when they're on Cloud City. It's like, <laughs> it's, it, it makes me think, you know, it's quiet, too quiet. It's just like, yeah. it's like, geez, they are really safe. And they've been hunted by the, all of a sudden the Empire has stopped uh, chasing them. Of course, why they have stopped chasing them is because Boba Fett's been telling them the whole time. Uh, and, you know, leading them in, hey, they're on their way to, uh, Bespin. He's probably, you know, listening in on their radio or listening in what's going on in the cockpit. It's like, you know, telling them exactly where they're headed. Oh, yeah. He's definitely been on their tail. That's what we'll learn is that he's there and has, uh, there's a betrayal that's to come here pretty soon. But Cloud City, man, what a great idea. I love the way that's visualized. I think it looks amazing still. And and in the new inserted shots, uh with the you know, the Falcon flying around and stuff, it looks good. It looks seamless. I, I thought the idea of a city in the clouds that's like a refinery. It's like a mining colony, but it's all in the clouds. What a great idea, you know, and, and but also probably is some statement about, well, we've ripped the land up beneath us so much we can't live on it anymore. So we'll just mine the hell out of it and live up in the sky. So uh, which oh, yeah. is an interesting way of looking at it. But no, I, I like the, the whole Cloud City bit, and I like how they're lulled into that false sense of security uh, because that's indeed what happens. They, they're going to dinner, and there's a line, and it never hit me until this time of how important it is. But in his own way, Lando is telling them, I've sold you out right before they realize it because he says, I just made a deal that'll keep the Empire out of here forever. And I'm like, well, the only way that could be possible is if you made a deal with the Empire. Yeah. And then sure enough, the door opens. There's Vader. Han starts shooting at him. And I love Darth Vader. He just holds his hand up, blocks every shot, then force grabs the uh, the blaster. And I'm like, now yeah. that is awesome. <laughs> All right. Everything about that scene is per- – that's a perfect Star Wars scene. Because the la- – again, this is – again, going back to Han Solo, the last thing they were going to expect when they opened that door – was Darth Vader was going to be sitting there and Boba Fett in the next room. Mm-hmm. And I just love that. I love that uh, the second Han Solo sees Vader, he doesn't say a word. He pulls out his gun and he starts firing uh, Western style, just like, just like with Greedo. But Darth Vader, he uh, he's better than that. You know, he, he blocks shots with his hands and he takes the gun out of him and we would be honored if you would join us. And stormtroopers show up and like, oh man, yeah. And you're like, man, now I really hate Lando. Like, what a jerk, <laughs> you know. And and I mean, oh, but you know, we should say too. There's another thing too. Three PO gets blown to pieces. Oh yeah, just wandering around. I totally, you know, we totally skipped over that. But you know, he just walking around. Oh, I'm sorry. Excuse me. Bloom, and he's just, <laughs> and then they never see him. You know, you don't see him again for a long time. And that's, I don't know. It's great. But then we go back to Dagobah. And this is the great balance of this film and how well it's. Been 
put together. We've cut away from Dagobah. Now we go back and we see Luke is actually doing pretty good in the training here. He seems to be go- doing good. And then he drops everything, including Yoda, who's like standing on <laughs> one of his feet while he's doing a hand, one hand and handstand. And he's like, hey, you lost concentration. And he said, I, I saw something. I saw my friends in trouble. And that's when he lays on him, you got to be mindful of your feelings, but that's part of the force is you can sense things. You can sense things are happening to people, but it's the same thing that happened to Solo at the beginning of the film. He was ready to leave to go see Jabba the Hutt, and then he gets derailed to go help his friend, and then he hangs around for the battle, and you know, here we are. The same thing with Luke. He's in the middle of his training, but now he knows or he thinks, I've got to go. I've got to go and help them. Oh, yeah. And again, this comes back to another bit of Darth Vader pure evil is the reason all of a sudden Luke's feeling these horrible things is because Vader's going out of his way to do horrible things. Like he with that when he straps uh, uh, Han to some chair, which clearly serves no purpose whatsoever other than torture. And we you know hear Han Solo just yeah. screaming in agony. And uh, 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 Han eventually says, yeah, they didn't even ask me any questions. It's because mm-hmm. it's pure torture. Vader is sending out bad vibes mm-hmm. through the Force, knowing Luke's picking him up wherever he is to bring him to to uh, to Bespin. He's like, I can't find Luke. I can bring him to me by hurting the ones he loves. Again, that's just that's why Vader is on the mm-hmm. best villains list. Well, and that's a great villain move too. If I can't get you, then I'm going to draw you to me by going after the ones you love. How many action films are based around that premise? Yeah, I mean, almost all of them, right? That's the centerpiece of you know Die Hard and. Heck, it's the it's the centerpiece of the third act of Lethal Weapon. They go after hmm. Murtaugh's family, you know, and then they, they bring them back to the house. So I mean, it's it's all that stuff uh, it, working again, and we're, and we've seen it a hundred times. You'll see it a hundred fifty more times in your lifetime, folks, because it works. It makes sense because we can all relate to that, right? No matter what happened, if people you cared about were in trouble and you knew about it and you felt like you could do anything to stop it you would go through hell and high water and if you thought it would help him. And yeah. that's you know that's what Luke is going to decide to do. And I love how Obi-Wan lays on him, if you do this, I cannot help you. I will not, you know, communicate force with you. I will not, I can't help you. You if you do this now, you're going at it alone. And you know, Luke asks him, if I face Vader, will I die? You know, he asks Yoda the same thing and he's like, "Yep. You know, you're not ready." You know, not ready for this. And he goes anyway. And I love that last line there again, you know, good, good screenwriting here. Yoda's like, you know, or uh, Obi-Wan said that was our last hope. And Yoda's like, nope, there's another, you know, so which is another big reveal that's going to be coming up here. We yeah. don't, you know, we, we haven't gotten to yet. But yeah, all of that is going down. And, and Luke is going to go, is heading to Cloud City. But before then, you know, you thought it got bad for Han Solo. Now it's about to get real bad. Carbon freezing. Yeah. What a great plot device. What an awesome idea. Oh, yeah. Everything about this section of the film, this five minutes, is my. this is my favorite part of the whole movie. Mm. Is Because, again, this is back to Game of Thrones. It's like things could not possibly go worse. Like, it, it's such, it is the saddest scene, in my opinion, of the entire Serious, because this is Han Solo. This is Yahoo shoot Darth Vader out of with his Tie Fighter, and now he's got it. Now he's handcuffed, tortured. He can't even if he he's probably physically incapable of fighting back. That's one of the things probably the torture helped with, mm-hmm. and everything about he the helpless. No, there's no one to come and save him. The Rebel Alliance doesn't know they're there. No one is coming to save him, and I love that uh, 
the whole point of the carbon freezing, it's not Boba Fett's idea, and like they don't want to do this specifically at Han Solo for a reason. Mm-hmm. He's testing it on Han yeah. to see if it's going to kill Luke. That, again, the, it's one of the more evil things. Like, you know, uh, Boba Fett says, well, what if he dies? He's worth a lot to me. Well, the Empire will compensate if he dies. Yeah, toss him in. It's like, oh, man, like, like just no regard for human life, just a evil like he doesn't care if he kills this guy it's like well we need to see if you know i gotta luke's not gonna stand there and let himself get caught so i gotta literally freeze him in this carbon uh whatever it gets me teared up when chewy haven't talked about chewy much chewy is one of the best characters in all of star wars i think the uh, empire magazine ranked him the best sidekick in movie history i have no problem with that chewy you can't not love Chewie. It just goes without saying. He's, he's like, he's like, it's like a character like, like Hodor in Game of Thrones. It's like, you know, if he wasn't there, you'd miss him. Yeah. And, uh, and yet the way, I love that he's best friends. I love that, uh, that, uh, uh, Han is the only one who can understand Chewie. Like literally <laughs> on the DVD, you see that in those scenes, Peter Mayhew is speaking English mm-hmm. dialogue in all those scenes and it's replaced with just these, you know, uh, with these sounds and Han Solo saying, yeah, boy, you said it, Chewie. Yeah, th- th- those are th- that. Uh, that is a great sci-fi thing. Is that the no subtitles? I don't think there's any. No, there's no. subtitles in uh, in Jedi, isn't there? Yeah, there is on, on certain uh, certain dialect, but not on the Wookiee dialect. I mean, it's like yeah. you know, Solo's the only one that really speaks Wookiee, or maybe everybody speaks Wookiee, and it's just you know, it's part. Yeah, of maybe. The, <laughs> yeah, maybe so. Maybe it's just part of the deal. But I love yeah. how I mean, in any other film, he's the dog. You know, or whatever he's yeah. the, he's the pet, but in this he's the equal, and he's just and nobody says anything about it. They just accept it. You know, it is what it is, and that's that's who Chewie is. And no, he's great in this, and I love how he tries to break free. And start, he's just going to be a brute and just kill everybody in the room. And Han has to calm him down and says, "No, no, no, you have to take care of the princess now. Oh, yeah. You have to do." And you know, he lays that on him, and he just gives that whimper, and you know, and it's like Han knows what's going to happen. And then, I mean, you know, the great the great lines between Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford. And this is the Harrison Ford idea because they had done it a hundred different ways and it felt bad every time and he couldn't get it out. Right. And Kirshner told him, just go with it. Just go with whatever your gut is. Forget the, forget the script. Just do it. And he just did that. I love you. I know. And I'm like, that's yeah. such a Han Solo <laughs> thing to say. That is, right, that is the, yeah, that is perfect. <laughs> that, that is the Han Solo moment. Joss Whedon created Firefly because of that <laughs> moment of I know. Yeah. I just I mean, everything about it, again, it, it just gets me teared up the way Chewie is trying he's like desperately, I'm gonna kill these stormtroopers with my bare hands. Han Solo says, Look, no, you this won't help me. Okay, like I appreciate it, but look, look, you're not you're like save your strength. You gotta look after the princess, okay? I'm not here anymore. You have to ha- you have to save her now. It's and uh and that moment of, you know, Leia finally admits <laughs> admits that I love you, and you know he doesn't say I love you too. It's like yeah, I know. Yeah, like like he's facing death in this moment. Essentially, he doesn't know that he's coming out of this pit ever, and it's like that's what he chooses to do. He's going to be a, a smartass to the bitter end. That moment is probably the best line in the Star Wars series, and improvised, of course, by by Harrison Ford, and just defines that character. Absolutely. Is you know no no sentiment at all. It's just I love you. Yeah, I know. I I love me too. 
Yeah, well, it, it, well, I've known all along. I mean, that's what he said all along. It's like, ah, you're crazy, Batman. You just can't, you know, stop it. And I know guys that are that confident that walk around or whatever, <laughs> and they're married to people that like they have no business actually being with. And the way <laughs> they got them was the same way. They were like, look, I know you're crazy, Batman. You're just gonna have to admit it to yourself. And just all this, it's funny to watch. And I think I, you know, we've talked about some of the things that have spawned off this. I'm not a big fan of Family Guy. Most of that is just it's ridiculous, and I don't yeah. pay much attention to it. But the the funniest thing was that Seth MacFarlane got what the attitude of that scene was about when he had <laughs> Lois tell Peter I love you and he tells her to f off because that's essentially oh, yeah. the same thing. I mean, it's pretty much what he's telling her. But and that's the humorous side of it. The poignant side of this is you see this as he says that. And he, he pretty well said, I love you to her with that. She knows. I mean, the look on her face is that she she realizes you know what he's doing there. And he's frozen. And I love when they pull him out, how it looks. It's this extreme agony. Oh, yeah. And it's frozen. And it's like, I cannot imagine anything worse than being stuck in that type of situation uh, you know, for who knows how long, right? I mean, what a... What a very powerful and just dark scene. You talk about dark. This movie has just become incredibly dark. Oh, yeah. It's all about defeat at this point. Just there's nothing but losing. And, yeah, the fact that Han Solo, like, it could, like, how, it's like, how could it be worse than what it says? Well, it's the fact that while he's in this, you know, hibernation, he's in pain, too. Yeah, like just frozen. This is what he looked like. You know, he he's not he doesn't he doesn't go out defiantly. He's not like stone face and you know grit teeth. He's like, no, this this hurts. That really hurt. And uh, here's the evidence of it. And that that's probably why Java hangs it on his wall later. Is he loves looking at Han Solo like that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, what a great, great move. And like you say, it's the whole setup is, okay, so now we know that'll work on Skywalker. Okay, well, he'll be here soon. That's what Vader says. And Luke, sure enough, falls right into Vader's trap. But as that's going down, I love how Lando, always the sneaky, I don't know, he gets on his uh, Google iPad thing on his wrist there and he activates his uh his man i don't know what that guy is with yeah. the thing on the side of the head we've seen him move around before i guess he's head of security and he just basically reprograms him real quick like i need you to come kill all these damn stormtroopers now because me yeah. and this woman about to get out of here and then it just goes down he betrays the deal he had with the empire because he doesn't like the way this goes he's already had that confrontation with vader and vader with that great line about you know pray i don't alter the deal any further yeah. and and he's like yeah i'm, I'm screwed on this and i I'm getting out of here as fast as I can. And we, you know, we didn't talk about it at the time, but when they meet, we learned that he's the guy that Han Solo got the Millennium Falcon off of. He won it off of him. It's some, yeah. you know, gambling thing. And it's like, wow, you know what? Yeah, I'd be ticked too, but you know, he knows how to handle it. And that's all set up. So, you know, if you put him behind the wheel, it's not going to be a problem. Like he knows what yeah. he's doing. At least, at least he can handle it. And, uh, he knows Chewie too and all this stuff. So all that set. And I love the little, the little gun battle that goes down between Luke and Leia and Chewbacca and, Lando here against these stormtroopers. I mean, they, again, the stormtroopers have not learned how to shoot worth the damn. I mean, they, and, and maybe it is still those helmets. I'm like, look, if I'm, if I'm in their union, I'm going, look, we got to fix this helmet problem, y'all. It's not the guns. It's the helmet. <laughs> we don't get that handled. We're going to be dropping like flies. I know we're just clones, but come on, you know, or whatever it is. I, I find that to be uh, absolutely fascinating every time that we see it. But it's a great little insurrection and a great fight. And uh, I like how it how it goes down. Oh, yeah. And another great chewy moment is when uh, they uh, Lando frees them. 
And Leia's like, well, what the hell are you doing? It's like, well, I'm getting you out of here. It's like, like, don't worry. Like, I'm getting you out of here. And, and Leia's like, you think after what you just did, we're about to trust you. And the second Haunt Chewie gets his hands free, he instantly wraps his hands around his neck and is just just grinding against his throat. Like, I'm going to kill you for what you just did. And again, that's my favorite Chewie moment is he's just like, he's about, he's about to kill this guy. And Leia's just standing by. It's like, oh yeah, well, no, no, we get it, right, Chewie? Yeah, yeah, you had no choice. And he's like, just, just, just trying to kill this guy. I love that. Oh, I love how he's just he's strangling him too. He's like, I could break his neck in one move, but he's like, nope, I want him to feel it. I'm gonna make yeah. sure he knows. And it just goes on and on and on. I like that that thing too, where he's just choking out, and she's finally like, okay, let him go. And yeah. they listen to, and of course they they're going to get the heck out of there. And they're as they're chasing after the body of Han Solo as it loads onto Boba Fett's little ship there. Um, and it fires off into the distance. And we're like, where'd Han go? Like, we know he's alive because they dropped that in there. He's alive. He's just in stasis. But where's he going? I guess, you know, we, we, we had to you know, wait to find out. We know he goes to Jabba's uh, lair because we've already talked about that. But um, <clears throat> it, at the moment, it was like, wow. That, you talk about just, well, that sucks. <laughs> you know, now they've taken away that guy, too. And so they're getting ready to fly the heck out of there. And while that's going down, the fight we've been waiting for the whole movie, Luke versus Vader, goes down in the... I guess the carbon freezing room area of the, the mining facility there on cloud city. Uh, cool, cool lightsaber fight. Oh yeah. I love that set too. the orange, the dark orange light, like fires a hell underneath them. in this lightsaber fight, the blue smoke, it's just an amazing set. I don't think this won an Oscar for art direction, but it damn well should have. Cause that is an amazing set. That's almost my favorite single set. Just the way it looks, the lighting is so cool in that in that scene it's a great set and a great fight and i love how the whole time vader is talking to him because this is not just a physical fight he's not there to kill it he doesn't want to kill it you know if he doesn't have to he wants to turn him and he figures yeah. well i'm gonna freeze you and get you in front of the emperor and there's no way you'll ever be able to deny him because he's so powerful and, and all this stuff so he's going at him and i love how he's waging psychological warfare on Luke at the same time that he's, you know, he's chopping at him, they're trading blows and he's like using the force to throw stuff at him. I mean, it's, it's a pretty brutal fight. Oh, yeah, he's just, he's just toying with him in that scene. It's like he, at any point, if he wanted to, he could instantly just like, you know, hack off an arm, bam, get him in the neck. He's dead, but he doesn't want to kill him. He wants to just prep him for, cause we're in a world where it's like, well, you know, uh, a scratch here and there can always be fixed. So maybe cutting his hand off isn't going to be the worst thing in the world. Uh, and yeah, I just love that. Yeah, he's just talking to him the whole time, taunting about the, you know, dark side of the force is better. And you're going to, it keeps telling him, it's like, it's over. Like, you know, it, it's over. Don't let yourself be destroyed as Obi-Wan did. And that scene mm-hmm. where we're underneath that uh, carbon room and we're in for some reason made me think it looked like a gift shop uh, where, <laughs> where we're uh and and our vader you know he's got his lightsaber but he just kind of puts it down and all of a sudden things in the room just start breaking off and flying at luke and that again that looked like it hurt like these big steel objects like ramming in like someone picking up a toolbox and whipping it at your at your head it's like vader is he is hurting this guy the bruises that luke has uh, at the end of the movie it's like that hurt that looked like it hurt oh yeah i mean he he pummels him with all this stuff with the with the scenery essentially and you know we should say luke gets in a couple of decent shots on him hits him in the arm once i mean he's you know he does a little bit of damage he even gets dropped into the carbon freeze thing and vader clicks the machine off to you know, freeze him up. And 
Luke does the force jump and gets out of there just in time. You know, it's like, wow, okay. So, and you get the sense that Vader's like, you know what? This guy's better than I thought he was. Okay. And yeah, so then, impressive, most impressive. Yeah. And then he starts bringing out the big guns where he's, you know, like, okay, I'm going to lay my sword over here for a second. I'm going to throw everything in this room at you. And he throws him out a window, basically. He gets on a ledge over, you know, the space there. I mean, that, it's just a, this empty cavern. I don't know what that's supposed to be, but I, I, I'm sitting here trying to think, what's the function of that place? <laughs> and it's just a satellite. It's like climbing out on your antenna on top of your television <laughs> or something or climbing up on the uh, the top of the sail of a boat or whatever but he's got him out there and they're still engaging in this fight and he cuts off Luke's hand sends that lightsaber of Obi-Wan is just flying and it's like yeah. wow what he took, I mean I thought this movie couldn't get any darker you know Han Solo is, is frozen in carbonite he's dead for all purposes he's been taken away now Luke doesn't have a hand to fight with I mean, yeah. you know, that, what a what a violent moment. I mean, this movie is so violent. It just blows me away. Oh, yeah, like dark as hell. Like, yeah, like when, when Boba Fett gets away and uh, Han Solo is not freed, again, I can't imagine sitting in the audience. You just, expectations could not possibly be more defined. It's like, well, you know, it's a, it's a movie. It's a sci-fi action movie. So, you know, Han Solo, okay, he got frozen. But, yeah, they're going to get him out of there, right? Right? And then he goes away. Oh, shit. So... So now what? And then, yeah, Luke gets his hand cut off. It's like, oh, my God, I didn't think that could happen. Like, that's the last thing I thought would happen is that in a sword fight, a guy would get his hand cut off like that. And uh, it's just like, oh, man. And, yeah, then that I love that. The shot of uh, Vader looking down at Luke, and he just finally says, it's over. Yeah. Don't make me destroy you. It's done. So you lost your hand. So fight's over okay and i'm gonna tell you the dialogue that goes down between the two of them here some of the best writing of it i don't know if this is lucas if it's kazan if it's both of them working together but what a great way to reveal the secret of the whole thing it's obi-wan never told you what happened to your father you know and the line on the set was obi-wan killed your father that was in the the script they told uh, Kirshner told Luke or told Mark Hamill right before it, play it as if he says the real line. And uh, James Earl Jones is, has a great bit on it. He talks about, he said, when I read that in the script and I you know, was recording it, I said, that's a lie. There's no, I wonder how they could play that out. There's no way. That's, hmm. you know, he didn't even you know, buy it. It was such a shocker, but he, you know, he, says oh yeah he told me enough you killed him and then the great line no i'm your father and i mean just the way the music works with that the look on and and vader doesn't have a look let's just say that the mask is just sitting there it's just prowse and his little bit of a head movement you know you think the batman costume you couldn't move around in you know apparently (laughs) you can never move in this thing and i love how he's he's standing there and he just lays that on him and it's that big in the you know in the music and uh such a drop and then luke just freaks out out loses yeah. his mind and uh of course as as he should i mean that's a, an incredible moment oh yeah that, like what's the worst possible thing you could discover is that your father is that your long lost father he's not long lost he mm-hmm. happened to become uh, the ultimate evil agent in the universe mm-hmm. he is your dad this whole time you might you it'd be better off if he was dead that's what's going on in luke's head that explains his screaming of no it's like Oh my! It's like my day couldn't have possibly gotten any worse. I just and, lost my hand, and now Darth Vader 
is my father. And I love his response. He's like, but I love what Vader lays on him here. This has always intrigued me. This idea of join me and we'll rule the galaxy together. In other words, like screw the emperor. We'll kill him fast. And you and I will take the world, take it all on for ourselves. And I'm like, now you talk about messed up. I'm like, man, there's no honor among thieves at all. Cause Vader's just pretty much said, we'll go kill the emperor together and we'll be the baddest thing in the universe. Now that's pretty dark. Oh yeah, that's that's Anakin Skywalker talking there. It's like yeah. you know, it's like look, I love it. I love it. Like once he finds, like, hey, look, now you know you're mm-hmm. my son. It's like, look, I'm not. I, I don't want to hurt you. I'm not doing this to hurt you. It's like, look, I'll complete your training, and we can take on the Emperor. We can rule the galaxy as. Fa- I just, I love the acting too. It's like we can rule the galaxy as father and son. Outstretches his hand. It's like, take my hand. It's like mm-hmm. you know, this is this is this is a good idea, Luke. You're not going to get a better offer than this, and Luke decides, you know. The better plan is to leap off of this uh, this ledge and fall wherever I happen to fall. It's like I think I wonder if that's Luke trying to kill himself in that moment. I wonder if that's like I like whatever you're offering is death first. Yeah, well, you know. yeah, that's what I was going to ask you is what do you think happens there? Is Luke just said, you know what, I think I'll just kill myself. Is that what he's doing there? Or does he know that there's going to be some something to catch him there at the end and maybe he can have a chance? Or does he does he know? Because it's not revealed, so it's just up for speculation. I've always wondered, did what was his purpose there? Was he trying to just kill himself? I think that uh, looking back, I think that uh, it's one of two things. One, it's that Luke maybe looked down and saw that opening and he's literally using the force to guide himself into that hole or the i think the better answer is that he's just like no like that i after hearing that i don't want to live anymore i like like so what i'm going to go on fighting against you in this war it's like all this stuff's going through like blasting through his head like an explosion and he just thinks no none of this is worth it and i'm going to jump off and luckily he happened to survive but either way Mm -hmm. it's a great thing that he does you know he does he dives off uh and there's a great bit that the special edition uh fix i think either the dvd or the special edition fix is that in the theatrical edition luke screams as he jumps off which to me doesn't play right because he chose to jump off right it's like he it's like he that scream sounded like a guy who's afraid of hitting there it's like no it's way better they take the sound out he's just Whatever happens, happens. It's like yeah, uh, no that I'm, look I'm that diving. look on his face is he looks down, looks back at Vader, and is like, nope, and just jumps. Yeah. And I, I like that too. I'm glad they took the scream out. I always thought that was weird. I'm like, why are you screaming? Unless it's that the whole thing. Well, everybody has regrets, at, you know, at that moment or whatever. I don't know, but I, I'm like, <laughs> no, I think I think this guy was pretty well. His hand was cut off. He was beat to hell. He was pretty well done. Like he would have probably just passed out from shock, you know. And I don't buy the whole he force guided himself through a hole either. That dude wasn't able to do jack at that point. Like he, he was he, no, 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 no. Not after all that. Like he wasn't ready for that. So he he landed and he basically landed in a trash chute and landed on an antenna, as it turns yeah. out. And then I love this moment here where he starts calling out, you know, psychically, forcically, whatever you want to call it, to Leia, you know, come get me, come get me. You know, he, you know, the, there's the other, the, there is another, you know, and yeah. this is after we should, we should mention, we didn't even talk about it. The, the moment that, you know, horrifies people when you find out their brother and sister is she plants one on him early on to try to get it. <laughs> oh, Han Solo. Right. You know, yeah. and it's not the first time she's done it. And it's like, okay, that's getting a little awkward now, but you know, yeah, they didn't know. Okay. So just everybody no. get over it. It's okay. It's just, you know. I don't know. Maybe it's just the Southerner in me, but anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm totally going to cut that. But anyway, uh, but no, I, I liked it, but I love how she reacts to it. She's like, 
you know, jarred into her seat almost by like, what is that? Like she's never felt anything like that before the force coming into her. Right. And he basically gets her to, you know, come get me and they go and rescue him. And I love how the rescue goes down. My favorite part. I didn't, re- I didn't re- uh, notice it until this time. I love Lando's reaction when Leia says, we got to go back. The way he just picks his head up is like, what? Yeah. What about those fighters? Like, no, we got to go back. Well, what about Darth Vader? And Chewie starts screaming, all right, all right, fine. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, that's, that's like, like Lando, he might be devious, but he's not an idiot. It's like, we just got away from Darth Vader. You want to go right back in, huh? You see why he and Han Solo were friends, why they got along. They're, that's a that's a Han Solo, you know, New Hope reaction. Like, you want me to do what? You know, and and of course he makes the great turn in it, and that's that's the the fun part of the story. And he goes up and rescues Luke, and they bring him back into the ship. And as they're flying, you know, away from the Empire, trying to get away, you know, one last time here. I love how um, you got R two D two working on the hyperdrive, and there's all this tension. It's another great space battle going on, and in the midst of it, Vader is calling out to Luke. You know, trying to get his attention. I'm like, man, that is twisted. That is messed up. It's like getting a call from Buffalo Bill. You know, it's like, hey, come on back down. I got the lotion. You know, whatever it is. I, mean, <laughs> I, I love that, you know, son, father, son, you know, and, it's, and he just shakes his head in disbelief. Luke's just, you know, totally blown away by all of this. Right. He can't figure out how he's gotten this far. Yeah, uh, that 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 bit when like you know Luke uh, Vader's calling out to him, I just love that. Like in this moment, I think the villain in Vader has gone away a little bit. Like he's not thinking about the Empire anymore. The Emperor is like, you know, I I, I almost like to think that maybe Vader right right before Empire Strikes Back starts, Vader just re- has fi- discovered that his, that Luke Skywalker is his son, and that is why he's so gung ho about going after the rebels and and so on. And that moment where. Where he's like, you know, this, it is your destiny. Come with me. Please come. I'm so lonely out here in space. Please. And I love that when the Falcon uh, does, you know, launch away, uh, David Prowse, great, a little, great bit of acting here. He does a double take when, uh, the, when it gets, when all of a sudden the Falcon's gone. He looks out into space, looks away, but he looks back again. It's like, damn it, they're gone. It's like, mm-hmm. he's just like, you look, it, it's Vader, you know, sad. It's like, oh. Damn it! I can't believe it. I can't believe like he. I, I just I finally got my son back for a brief second, and he's gone again. Well, you know, back to business. And I love how when he's walking back, we see Admiral Piet has this look on his face. He's like, "I'm the next guy. He's about to get choked, aren't I?" <laughs> yeah. And uh, would that would have been a night? would have been a, a hilarious moment if that is what happened. Yeah, it's but, like uh, that, you that, come that, here now. I'm going to choke you. But but you know what? The fact that he doesn't, I think, says a lot. That Vader's, you know, all the people he chokes out, kills, or whatever in this thing. They all, in one point or another, were insubordinate, didn't follow orders, or screwed up in a big way. And Pitt is the only one of them, of the Imperial officers, that shows any modicum of respect for it. Yeah. You know, along I love that. <laughs> when, when, when the guy's getting choked out next to him, it's like, well, now you yeah. are in command, Admiral Pitt. He says, <laughs> Yeah, he Thank promotes you, him Vader. on the spot. <laughs> I love that. It's, it's a great, great moment. But, you no, know, that end, too, when R2 gets the thing, they fly away just at the last second, and Vader's like, Ugh. And he's back to business, like you say. So, okay, well, let's go and figure out what the next bit is. And for the next bit, it's, it's, you know, Luke gets a new hand, gets that mechanical hand. I thought that was so cool, man. Uh, I, I, 
still think that scene looks amazing. Looks really good. Just those little gears pumping and stuff as he moves his fingers. And then, you know, they're essentially calibrating it in front of him. And I'm like, what a cool world to live in that, you know, they live in this world where they could replace your hand like that. And I'm like, oh, of course, you know, why not? That makes total sense, right? So I, I enjoyed that part. And we're left with, you know, they're back with the rebel fleet now and it's okay. We're getting ready for the next bit. You know, we, we've got uh, Lando knows what to do. He's heading out and we're like, well, what does that mean? And they leave us hanging. I mean, it's the second act and the curtain closes, man. And we don't know what's coming. I mean, it's, it, you're left wondering. And that's the amazing thing about this film is that really nothing gets resolved. It just gets left in this huge cliffhanger and it's, we'll see you later as we go into that triumphant score one more time. Yeah, it reminds me of how I, I kind of think Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, is the best film of the series in terms of just direction and writing and so on. And just the, the fact that, like Empire Strikes Back, same deal, they made a movie work that doesn't have a proper beginning or a proper ending, and yet it still works. Yeah. That's what, exactly what The Two Towers is. It's like all middle act, and that's what Empire Strikes Back is, and it works I wonder how many people in the theater in 1980 were like, there must have been a lot of people like, are you kidding me? That's it? Like, in terms of, not in terms of that that was bad, but it's like, oh, well, like, so nothing good happened. So, like, you know, that that ruined, that just ruined my uh, movie-going experience. The feeling was, Vader is Luke's father. That blew everybody's skull open so much, man. They weren't even worried about the fact of what did or didn't happen. And it ended on such a downer that everybody was like, uh, you, you knew that both that there were two more parts to the Star Wars that were coming. So you're like, oh man, I can't wait till that next one comes. I've got to see it now. I mean, what a you know great marketing strategy. Again, you leave me hanging and wanting more, but also leave me with something to really chew on. And the Vader is Luke's father was that moment everybody just chewed on, and and still to this day they do. I mean, it's it's the central story of the Star Wars saga. You know, Anakin Skywalker and Luke Skywalker, what that does. A New Hope ended in a way that, let's say, if Lucas wanted to just completely move on and just leave Star Wars, that's a perfect ending for just a sci-fi film. Like, there you go. There's my sci-fi film, Star Wars is over. But it was such a hit, let's make another one. And Empire Strikes Back ends in a way that's like, that's not an ending. Where's the rest of it? So I cannot possibly, like, well, I cannot wait. When, when's the next one? Come on, let's go. Kind of like similar in the way like the Dark Knight had a similar ending where it's like it, nothing is revolt, resolved. It's all <laughs> gone straight to hell again. And it's like, okay, can't wait to see how this does get resolved. That's interesting you mentioned that because I said it back on our review then that it was a friend of mine who I, the first time I saw the Dark Knight, I, I rejected it in a lot of ways. I was like, I was so mad at it when I walked out of the theater and I talked to my friend Holly and she said, you need to watch it again and I need you to think about it like it's The Empire Strikes Back. Because she knew of my Star Wars love. She was the same age and stuff. And I said, okay. So I went and saw it again, like four or five nights later. And it walked out with a totally different appreciation. Now I love that movie. It's fantastic. The best one in that series by far. Yeah. One of the best oh, things yeah. Christopher Nolan's ever done. Not the best, I don't think, but one of the best. And just a great story. But it's the same basic idea. It's the Empire Strikes Back of the Batman. And I would say it's the Empire Strikes Back of, of a new generation of people. I think it's really that film for a lot of people, the way oh, yeah. that this one works. And we're definitely at the point of the podcast where it's time for us to give Final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings. I think it's pretty clear we both like it and recommend it a lot, but tell us why, Kurt, you're going to give this an extra large popcorn. This film, I love New Hope. It's That's a perfect 10 kind of movie, one of the best I've ever seen. Empire Strikes Back goes on my list of top 10 favorite movies I've ever seen, next to Raiders of the Lost Ark, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, City of God, uh, you know, uh, 
life is beautiful like everything art films like i this 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 goes to not, like in the top 10 best movies i've ever seen where i watch it I'm, i think i'm gonna watch it again tonight <laughs> just to be like because that was just, i just remember watching it like that was just so good like just like 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 a as depressing as it gets any movie that gets your emotions going whether it's a good emotion or a bad emotion, whether it's incredibly good, happy stuff like a Monty Python movie or a great comedy or whatever, or if it gets you absolutely miserable and sad like Empire Strikes Back might. Any movie that triggers your emotions that much, that's the sign of a great film and a film that works. And Empire Strikes Back, as a, as a science fiction film, the stuff they do with playing with the sci-fi world, adding more stuff, the Force, you can now all of a sudden there's more stuff with the Force, more creatures, more monsters, this idea of bounty hunters in the galaxy. That's another just a great notion of a, uh, it's a Western universe where, you know, one guy is going around the universe to grab another guy on the other side, bring him back to justice or whatever. But as a sci-fi film, it's great. As a fantasy, it's great. And as a story, the stuff they do with these characters, uh, the dialogue scenes with everyone, everything Han Solo says is a, is a, is a scene stealer. And Harrison Ford's performance as Han Solo it's Han Solo and Darth Vader that make this move for me. How good a char- how good a hero character Han Solo is, and how evil a villain Darth Vader is. I never really thought he was so evil. As the last time I just watched, it's like God damn, he does some evil stuff. And uh, yeah, the fact that this movie just defies expectations, this big summer epic action movie, and the villains win, and they couldn't possibly come off looking better. In the end, just could not be more of a shocker. And uh, the fact that it's so surprising and so shocking makes it one of the more memorable movie watching experiences of my life. Top 10 movies, and I could not possibly give this movie anything less than an extra large popcorn. Well, you know, I don't know that I can say much better than that, Kurt, but I will say this here. I'm going to say something a little controversial in film circles, probably. To me, there are two perfect sequels that exist in film world. And they are The Godfather Part 2 and The Empire Strikes Back. You could not concoct or build a more perfect sequel to something that was already great than what Lucas and company did here. This movie is flawless. It works on every level. Now, I said last time, you know, A New Hope was my favorite Star Wars movie. And it, is, it still is. That is my go-to for Star Wars movies, no doubt. But it in no way diminishes how much I love this movie and how good I think it is. And in fact, when I watch A New Hope, I pretty well go to this one almost always, shortly thereafter, because I'm like, well, I know I got to go see Empire Strikes Back because that's where it all gets real. And I just find everything about it fascinating. And for me, uh, a perfect sequel and a great film, another great one to talk about. Really enjoyed going through a lot of it here and, and even laughing at some of the silly stuff in it and still been able to enjoy it all these years later. Uh, sign of a great, great film. And so I give it extra large popcorn as well. And I, uh, I'm with you. Just a perfect, perfect sequel. Uh, great, great film. So I'm, I'm really curious, man. Uh, you, know, I've never reviewed two films in a row that got that much praise from anybody on this in this podcast. All these <laughs> hundreds of episodes we've done, we've never done that two in a row. We've, we've, you know, universally <laughs> derided things twice in a row, but never loved something <laughs> like that twice in a row. I'm real curious to see how Jedi works for both of us because it's been a long time. I'll admit now, it's been a really long time since I watched Return of the Jedi, uh, start to finish, and watched it with a critical eye. 
at all. So curious to see how that one goes as we you know saunter into the next chapter of our Star Wars retrospective series. Folks, thanks for joining us on this episode of Filmstrip. You can find more episodes on our website, continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies. You also find links to our social media, Facebook and Twitter. Drop us a line there. Let us know what you think. And if you like the show, leave us a review on iTunes. Helps other people find the show. You can also find links to Continuous Play's other shows, The Art of Slaying, our Buffy the Vampire Slayer retrospective. At the time of the release of this show, seven full seasons of Buffy reviews there for you folks. Every episode reviewed by myself and Brian, along with some extras there for your enjoyment. And you can also find a link to The Fabish Factor. Kirk, tell us about that. The Fabish Factor Film Podcast, where we get into anything that I personally have a strong attachment to, whether it be the Alien series or particular years of films, or the Oscars, or or Batman, or Game of Thrones, which we'll be getting into a lot more as we go on. I'm definitely going to, hopefully, hopefully we're going to end up doing podcasts on every one of these seasons when before it's over. And uh, Season 3 show coming out soon. And uh, hopefully, and uh, year 1986 will be covered, and uh, sometime after that we'll be doing a sh- uh, series of shows on Batman and all things Batman in the comics, video games, TV shows, and the films. So uh, that should be good. And find us on the Fabish Factor film group on Facebook as well, where we discuss uh, everything but the podcast, as it turns out. <laughs> but uh, get some great, great discussions on there. Yeah, that's really where we do a lot of our general movie discussions. We don't have a forum or anything, folks. We use Facebook for that. So you can talk about the the episodes on the Continuous Play you know, Facebook page. And you just want to talk in film or talk movies or just have some fun arguments with people. And I promise you can get into them. Uh, join yes, the you Fav- can. <laughs> join the Famous Factor Film Podcast. I, I think a lot of it's, it's all in good fun. We have a, a good time uh, messing around with each other. And you'll find uh, the other hosts of Continuous play here as well as some of our friends from Hollywood Gauntlet and other places around uh, who uh, hang out in there with us and we enjoy the interaction with them and with you. Until next time, for Kurt, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Thank you for listening to our Star Wars retrospective series. May the Force be with you. <laughs>